Welcome to episode 12 of Aminal's World. Um, I never thought I'd be doing an episode uh, about me holding a, a one-woman protest outside Downing Street. Uh, here I am telling you my story and also explaining the, the reasons behind it. I really feel like there's so many layers to the story, uh, so many reasons why I did it. Um, I know my sign just said protect healthcare workers. Um, but it's so much more than that, and there's so many reasons behind why I did that, and I really hope I can, I can use this time to explain myself, and, um, and it's a good release for me as well, I think having to, to speak to the media and to different journalists is, has been really good, but they, they don't have half an hour slots on the TV, they don't have all this time to give to me, because obviously it's just the, the way the news is changing so rapidly on a daily basis. Um, and this is why I think it's really important I give an unfiltered version of of my cause and uh, why I decided it was, it was really important and imperative during this pandemic to hold this protest. So I hope you enjoy this episode and I promise I, I, won't, I will make this a very long one, although it can be if I want to, but uh, I'll try to keep it nice and simple for you. And uh, if there's any anybody out there who has any questions, please feel free to get in touch with me. And we were all here to help you. And we're all here to help each other during this pandemic. Um, so I hope this episode helps. So Sunday, the 19th of April, was the day... I drove down to Downing Street and held my one-woman protest with my sign that said protect healthcare workers. I don't know if, if you guys have seen it. Um, it was a photo that sort of went across the world really quickly. Uh, I didn't expect it to, to gather so much pace and so much momentum within just a few hours of, of it being released. Uh, but when I woke up on Monday morning, I, I was getting messages that I was on the, on the front cover of the news, of the national newspapers. Um, I was even getting messages from, from friends in India saying that they, they'd seen me in, 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 in their newspapers locally as well. So I was, I was quite overwhelmed with, with the response, in a good way, of course, because it was all positive, really. I didn't, didn't really get any backlash for it, but... You need to understand why I did this. Uh, in the days building up to this protest, uh, there was a lot of anxiety. There was a lot of worry, uh, not just because of, not just because of what I was doing, because what I was doing was, was quite a big deal. You know, like standing outside Downing Street as uh, as a one as just one woman, and then having all those security cards behind you, you just don't know what's going to happen. Uh, it's a scary place to be, a scary thing to do. Um, but I think the last couple of months have have played a big role in, in why I, I decided to do this. The, <laughs> the only mantra I had on repeat in my head was that I, I just couldn't be a spectator of, of unfairness or stupidity. And, and this is a, a quote by Christopher Hitchens. And he says that the grave will supply plenty of time for silence. And that was the only thing going through my head every single day. And my husband and I, we, we spoke a lot about it. Um, we even got to a point where you start to get tired because you're having so many different 
opinions, you're asking for advice and you're not sure if it's the right thing to do, if it's not the right thing to do, will it will it create a change that you want? And I think that was the most important thing. Like, what was I trying to achieve from this protest? So the main thing I was trying to achieve was that I wanted to make sure that people speak up. I wanted to show everybody who's either a doctor, a nurse, or a healthcare worker, whether they're in the UK, even in India, in, in Pakistan, in the US, anywhere across the world, that if you're not happy with the way things are in your hospital, if you're not happy with the state of political affairs, it's okay to speak up. And I know a lot of people are being silenced in the hospitals, and I know a lot of people are scared of, of their jobs, and, and understandably so. I mean, I, I was <laughs> I was thinking of the same things as well. But for so many weeks, I was watching the failures of, of the government and, and how it was causing so many deaths, not just of healthcare workers, but also of the just general public. Um, I remember when we first heard the death of, of someone in, in the UK in January, actually forget the UK, let's go back to even China, where in November time we were seeing China was in lockdown, Wuhan was in lockdown, and there were people dying there. I just sort of thought, well, it's never gonna it's never gonna get that bad here, right? Like the UK is a developed country. We we should have our shit together. <laughs> we should have our politic our politicians would um, create a a plan that would protect us and protect the country. I, I really didn't think it, it would get this bad. But when we had our first death in um, a few months ago in the UK, I thought, well, at least the media have had some time to go into their story and their background and sort of celebrate their life, which I think every life deserves. They deserve that dignity and they deserve that that celebration and that attention because it's not a case of the, the patient dies and then that's it. Like, that leaves years of of scarring to the family and that leaves years of tragedy and um and it creates a a big hole in, in people's hearts and it's it's not a case of five minutes on BBC and then that's it. But what happened was that you had these deaths coming in, you had one death, then two deaths and three deaths and then it just started going up so quickly, so exponentially, you I just couldn't keep up. And then you realise that well on the TV you switch on and then they have a number and that is the number of deaths and that's it we don't know who they are we don't know their families we don't know if the families need anything we don't know what their background was it, we just didn't have a chance to celebrate their life and sort of show the public who they were and then from the public uh we went to healthcare workers and i thought well you have a death of one healthcare worker, one nurse, one doctor, and then it kept going on in the same way that you celebrated the life of this doctor. You you had a look at their their history and how they became so successful, and um, they were given so much respect. And then from that, it went to ten healthcare workers have now died, fifty have now died, and then I was like, hold on a second, like this, this is not okay. This cannot be the new normal. The new normal cannot be that I switch on the TV, watch the daily death toll go up, and then and then watch our ministers give these daily press briefings with no answers. It's like, I mean, 
it's just embarrassing to know that these are the ministers controlling the pandemic right now because they don't give clear answers. They go in a roundabout way. They have their script ready before they go out and give their briefings. And I, I, I just couldn't sit and watch this become... I just couldn't sit and watch this become the new normal. Um, so all these weeks of concern transformed into a very focused fury and a very focused anger that I was like, I have to do something about it. And all this while, I kept asking the same question, which is why is this happening? How is it that other countries like Korea, South Korea, Japan, uh, and even like my, my home country, Gibraltar, why is it that they haven't reached this point? Why is it that, for example, Naples in Italy, uh, one of the leading hospitals, why is it that they had almost negligible uh, number of deaths for healthcare workers? Why, but why are we suffering? Why is it that in the UK, uh, we're on track to having one of the highest mortality rates of healthcare workers across the world. Like, how did it even get to this point? So, I had to go back a few weeks because I had to understand what was happening and I had to understand my own understanding of this virus as well and the pandemic because it wasn't just a case of, okay, I need to go up and fight and that's it. It's like, I had to think, what was my understanding of, of the virus how did it affect me personally? What kind of toll did it have on me? And then how could I use my my knowledge to, to help others? So at the beginning of March, um, I was still working in... Um, so at the beginning of March, I was still working uh, in an acute setting. So there were patients coming in and there were some patients where we were told that, oh, they, they might be covid um, and I thought, well, surely then we'll, we'll have the protection, we'll have the gloves and apron and stuff. And during that time, there, there were points where we didn't really have enough aprons and masks because I, I still remember waiting a while to, to find one or asking a nurse to find one. And I just thought, well, it's the beginning of, of everything. So surely the hospitals, not, and this wasn't just my concern. It was a concern of, of all other doctors around me. Um, we just thought, well it's just the beginning so you know they're just trying to sort of find their feet and just try to get a good system going so that when it does hit when the number of cases go up then then they're ready and i was like yeah that's fine i mean it's it's not harming anybody um if we do query someone is covid then we have the resources because all we had to do was just put them in a side room in an isolated room and if we wanted to go in to see the patient then we we would have the gear that we wanted so at the very beginning, when we were seeing these patients who were COVID positive, we had to wear the full uh, protective gear. So um, long sleeve apron, uh, an FFP3 mask, um, and um, double layer of gloves and a visor. So eye protection as well. So we had the full gear and um, there was no reason for us to be afraid. We just said, well, we're fully protected were fine. We had our armour. We had a full armour to go in and see these patients, treat them and then come back out. And then from there it went to, well, only use the full gear if you're carrying out specific procedures. Now you don't need to un you don't need to understand the science behind it. You don't need to know what these procedures are because that's not important. The important messages to the public is that we basically went from wearing full gear <laughs> 
in seeing COVID patients to using a plastic apron and a surgical mask to seeing COVID patients. So things changed quite drastically and it was changing on a daily basis. So it didn't sort of just go from one thing to the other. The guidelines slowly started changing um, as as the weeks went by. Um, and it got to a point where healthcare workers were worried. They were like, well, we're going in to see patients who, who, who are COVID positive. They're coughing or they're obviously they're in a room that's infected. A lot of healthcare workers were saying, how can I go into this room with a piece of plastic and a surgical mask? And then I have to go home to my family. I have kids at home. I have maybe even elderly parents at home. This is, this is not okay. And I saw nurses in, in tears. I saw doctors just completely just petrified of going into these rooms and saying, well, I, I can't risk my safety. And, and to be in that position as a doctor where you have to put either your own safety first or your patient safety first, like it's, it's a dilemma that it's a dilemma that no doctor ever wants to be in because you, this is not what we do. It's, it's in our blood to show up for our patients to treat them and put them first. This is this is the job we do. It's part of our Hippocratic Oath. We put our patients first before us and we serve our community, we serve the public before we look at ourselves. So to be, to be put in that position where you're wondering, well, do I risk my safety to save the patient or, or what, what do I do? And the question is, why did we even get to this point? Why did we get to a point where we had to decide who to put first. And it goes back to what I was saying earlier regarding a few weeks ago, in, well, well, I say weeks ago, but we're almost approaching May now, so in March, when we were still sort of, we weren't under-equipped, but you could tell we were getting there. Why was nothing done at that point? And at that point, concerns were raised. We did say that we don't have the gear, please help us, but then our ministers were coming on TV and they were coming into the media saying, well, we've ordered 100 billion masks, we've ordered uh, this many aprons and we're, we're doing everything we can. And they start using these big words like, it's a Herculean effort, um, it's an unprecedented time. And these big numbers and these big words just kind of just like switches, switches your brain off a bit. You're just like, well, they're saying all these big things and they must have it sorted out. And then they ordered everything, <laughs> we got everything, and then now we're in April and we're back in the same position. We're back in the same position, but it probably taken even a, taken even a step back where we've been being told at times to reuse masks. So my question is, why did the government allow us to get to this point? And us being in this point now has resulted in the death of healthcare workers. We've seen doctors die, nurses die, um, healthcare assistants who are suffering as well. And this is not just happening across the country in the UK, but it's happening across the world. So as doctors and as healthcare workers, we are seeing our colleagues die. We are seeing our colleagues suffer. And at the same time, we're being told by our managers, by our hospitals, not just in the UK, but across the world, that we cannot speak up. How is that fair? We are being silenced by the people we work for. 
And we're being silenced because we're trying to raise concerns about saving our patients. How is that okay? And there are reports of some managers and some hospital trusts who are going through social media accounts and monitoring people. And you just think, like, we're in a pandemic. A lot of our resources, well, not a lot of our resources, every single resource is concentrated into this pandemic, right? Our money, our gear, our machines, everything is going straight into this pandemic. How is it that there's still money to pay people to track our social media accounts. That makes no sense. Why are our resources being used in that way? And then the, the crazier thing is, is that we're being told that we are waiting for a flight from Turkey to come to bring our aprons and to bring our masks and to, to bring our equipment. And at the same time, you have people who have warehouses here with millions of masks just collecting dust because... They're emailing the government, they're calling the government and saying, we have this for you, we want to deliver it to hospitals, we want to help. And some of them are even doing it, offering it for free. Some of them are saying, look, we just want to help. We don't even want money from this, we just want to help. And they're not getting any response from the government. So why are the government getting equipment from... which? Why, why are the government getting equipment out from outside the UK? Why are they not engaging the UK businesses? And because they're not engaging the UK businesses they have all the stock just sitting in their warehouses just sitting in the cupboards and they're like well we have to send it send this off somewhere else now because we've got nothing else to do so do you do you see how crazy this is do you see how absurd this is we are on our knees as healthcare workers begging for protection it's not like we don't have it here around us we have it we have it it's like our next door neighbor has what we need but we're choosing to to fly out to another country to get what we want. How does that make any sense? So my frustration lies within the fact that there's no transparency. Uh, we These questions have been asked before. I'm not the first person to ask them. If you look at all these press briefings that we have on a daily basis and the gov- and our ministers come out and the journalists are asking these questions, but you know, they play these, they, they do this mental gymnastics and they figure out a way how to go around these questions. And the thing that people need to understand is that these politicians, before they come out, they are briefed before, they're given a script, and they practice what they're going to say, and they're ready. They're ready to dodge anything that comes at them. But the, the fact is, is that we're not fools. We, we are doctors, we, we're nurses, we, we are learned people. <laughs> we, we spent plenty of time in medical school understanding science. So you cannot come on a press brief, daily press briefing and tell me that a plastic apron is enough to save my life. Like, we're not, we're not idiots. And I think that's even more frustrating, is that they think that we will be fooled into their lies, but we won't, because we know what's going on. We know that our protective equipment is being based on the supply we have. The guidelines are being changed according to the supply. Because one day they're saying, no, you have to wear the full thing. This is what you need. You need to fully protect yourself. And the next day they're saying, actually, you know what? Plastic apron? Yeah, that should be all right. And the worst part is, is that healthcare workers who are dying, they are, they're dying because the, the equipment that they have to protect themselves is not enough, which means that they are in a, in a setting where there's a high viral load, which means that they're exposed to this virus for 
for very long periods of time and in very high concentrations. So obviously they're more likely to catch something. And then the worst part is that when you speak to hospital managers, they will they will just so so blase about it. They will say, well, they could have caught it in a supermarket. And you're just like, how <laughs> how can you even say that with a straight face? Like, how can you even get those words out of your mouth without even feeling a bit of guilt or even just feel bad because these are these are the lives of people right these are real human lives that you're mocking with that you're playing around with and you are telling me that they could have caught something in a supermarket and not in the very same hospital where they were treating covid patients how is that okay how is that okay and it makes me very very angry because our whole (laughs) career as doctors and nurses is is all about empathy and compassion and and dignity and all of that has just been stripped off completely by these people who 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 manage us and all our bosses because none of that exists right now none of that exists there's no science behind anything everything is just politics and the the most frustrating part for me is that we work for our patients, and we will be there till the very end. We will hold our patient's dying hand right till the very end if we have to. But we can't even do that if we're not protected. Because if we are not protected, if we die, who's going to take care of the patients? And this is our whole argument. The whole argument and our whole fight is that we want protection only so we can protect our patient. It's that simple. That's all we're asking for. We just want to be able to do our jobs properly. And we want our government to to build that trust with us again. So we know that we're being taken care of. Going into work every day knowing that people people actually just don't really care about you. <laughs> it's not, not a great feeling, is it? You want to have that motivation. You want to have that boost in morale. And I think the only thing that's really keeping us going now is the public. Because the public are really, really fighting for us and really supporting us. Um... And for those who don't live in the UK, the healthcare system is something that should be government funded. The government should be putting their money into the healthcare system. So they should be worried about our protective gear. They should be the ones ordering the aprons. They should be the one giving us the masks. But instead, we've getting, we're getting schools donating the science goggles. We're getting old ladies stitching up masks for us. It's crazy. That the public have taken responsibility of the NHS when it should have been the government. So all of this to one side, the the thing that hit me hard, the thing that really struck me the most was the death of a pregnant nurse uh, a couple of weeks ago. She was a nurse who was working in, in, a, in a hospital where she was treating COVID patients. She was in her third trimester of pregnancy and she had... She contracted COVID and she had to deliver her child um, in an emergency C-section. So she delivered her child and then she had to go straight to ICU because she became very unwell. Unfortunately, she passed away. So if you haven't read this up yet or if it's something you haven't seen, I, I am pregnant as well. I am going into my third trimester. And that really hit home, you know, because that, that could have been me. And it really hurt, it really breaks my heart to say it, but it could have been me. And her family who are suffering right now could have been my family. She's left a baby behind 
who will never know who her mother is. Um, she's left a family behind now who who will spend the rest of their life with this hole in their heart, not knowing, you know, not knowing what happened to her, not knowing how she felt in the last moments of her breath, because all of these people who are going into hospital cannot even see their families before they, they die, because visitors are not allowed because they're trying to control infection. So people are dying a very undignified death. And a lot of these deaths could have been preventable. And there was something about this story that when I when I saw a pregnant woman has died, she's left a child behind, who will never be able to play with her mother, who will never be able to hug her mother. Um, and obviously the father now has to take full responsibility for this. I think that for me was was the, was the line. I think that was the that was where I drew the line and I said this has to stop. Um, I think the most the the thing that really hit me hard was she was just like other a lot of other healthcare workers are immigrants. They've come from another country for a better life. My parents also moved from India for a better life. They came into Europe for a better life. But I know that if something had happened to my parents during that time, they wouldn't have anybody to stand up for them, right? Because they would just be like another family who've moved abroad and looked for a better life. And I mean, they had nothing to their name. So who would stand up for them? Who would take care of them? And I always, I was, this was the only thing going through my head. Who will stand up for this lady? Who will stand up for her family? Will people care enough about her? Will anybody care about her? And then obviously when, once once I started thinking about that, then I was like, well, there are so many other healthcare workers who've had, who've had to suffer because of the negligence of the government. And they probably didn't speak up because they were scared. They probably didn't speak up because their managers had told them they had to just sort of keep quiet and get on with it. And I thought, that that that's not okay. This has to stop. And... As a South Asian woman living in the UK, as a brown woman, um, a pregnant woman, just thought, well, who, who am I to say anything? Who would listen to me? You got these really big, powerful people in Parliament. You got these really big, powerful men in government. Why would they listen to me? I mean, who am I to them? But that wasn't the point. The point was was that I wanted to show them, the government, and I'm sure they've, I'm sure they saw it the same day actually. I wanted to show them that I won't be quiet and my colleagues won't be quiet. And that was my, my sort of signal flare to all the doctors across the country to speak up. And I wanted to do it to show people across the world as well, because I know a lot of doctors in India and Pakistan and everywhere else that they've stayed silent. And funnily enough, there was a, a message I got a few days ago from a doctor in Punjab in India. And she said to me that after watching my protest, she decided to, to take a stand as well against the hospital and speak up. And this is all we need, because if we speak up, we will get what we want, which is protection. And why do we want that protection? And that's only so we can save our patients. It's that simple. And I'm not going to sit here and watch all this injust injustice happen. I'm not going to sit here and stay silent. And I, wanted, I want to raise a family where I, I bring these values in, where we talk about honesty and we talk about integrity and I can't, I can't, I wouldn't be able to live with myself if in six months time or in 10 months time, um, you know, 
well, I wouldn't say six months time because I don't think my child will be able to talk at that age. But if she did, that would be that would be pretty good. If she or he did, then that would be pretty good. Um, but I don't think that's going to happen. But let's say ten years time. <laughs> if my child looks back at this moment in history, which is going to be probably the biggest moment in history for our generation at least, and if they say if he or she says, well. What did you do during the pandemic? When you when other doctors were dying, what did you do? And then I I won't have I won't have it in me to say I did nothing. I just had to watch. I won't be able to say that, and I I won't be able to live with myself if I if that had to be my answer. So that was the first step. The first step was a protest, and it 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 took a lot out of me. It took a lot of energy. It took a lot of um. It took a lot of courage, but people people always say, Emil, you're really courageous to do that, but I think anything less would be a dereliction of my duty as a doctor. I think that's something that we just should all be doing, which is to speak up for our colleagues and speak up for what is right. That's what we should be doing as doctors. That was the first step. And the next step we did was my husband and I wrote um, a letter to the government, and that's only to ask a couple of questions and just for them to be transparent. Their deadline, funnily enough, was today and they've asked for an extension, which I'm not surprised about because it's the government and they know how to how to play with their words and they they know how to play these political games. So we want transparency. We want accountability because this is a monumental. Well, don't like swearing on my podcast, but I mean, it is a monumental F up um, and it's on a government level. And it's due to systemic negligence. And someone has to be held accountable. Nobody can get away with the death, with, with all these deaths. Nobody can get away with the deaths of healthcare workers and just sit in their fancy buildings in Parliament or sit in their fancy houses in London and get away with it whilst everybody else across the country is suffering. That's not okay. So I didn't realise I've been speaking for the last half hour. <laughs> but... Um, that's why I did the protest. Uh, it's the 27th of April now as I record this, so you'll probably be listening to this from the 28th of April onwards. This is why I did the protest. Um, it's quite funny because a lot of people, a lot, a lot of a lot of people have asked on Twitter, like, do you have any political affiliation and all that? And I'm just like, nah, there's nothing to do with that. It's got nothing to do with, with any of that. It's all simply a fight for justice. It's a fight for the healthcare workers who've lost their life. And it's the fight for the truth. That's all it is. And if the government are honest with us, then we can rebuild our trust. And if we know that they're going to protect us, we can do our jobs. It's really that simple. So that was today's episode. Um, I feel quite quite good now, actually, that, <laughs> that I let it out. Um, I think I just really needed that sort of outlet. Um, and... There's obviously going to be a lot more that's going to be happening over the next few weeks. Um, I'm trying to I'm trying to find more answers, and I've had such great support from journalists and and people from the media and just people I've even met just a couple of weeks ago who really do care about my health and uh, have always checked up have have spent so much time checking up on me, um, and I I don't think I could have done it without them. I really couldn't have and. My parents have been so supportive um, during this time because it's a scary time. And I still remember telling my parents that, you know, um, 
the whole world might find out that I'm pregnant. Because <laughs> we hadn't told anybody yet. So you know what it's like with South Asian families where everything has to be told in the right way. Everything has to be said in the right way. But I, I didn't give a crap about any of that. I was just like, look, all of that is secondary. My primary focus is to, to make sure that we do everything we can to bring justice to to everybody who's lost their life and, and their families as well. Um, so thank you for listening. <laughs> I hope that clears everything up because I know I've been posting stuff on, on Instagram and, and, and Twitter about what I've been doing. Um, and if you have any questions, you can find me on social media at Meenal's World. You can send me a message and I'll, I'll be more than happy to help you. If you've got any healthcare workers that you know, doctors or nurses, um, and they want to share their story, please direct them to me. I'll be more than happy to speak to anybody who wants help at this time because it is a very tough time. And I understand a lot of you are dealing with a lockdown and you're all <laughs> sat at home just waiting for all of this to be over. But just remember that it all starts with the government. It all starts with those people who are looking after your country. These are the people who are supposed to be looking after you. And if you're not happy with anything, speak up about it. Be the one, be that voice for everyone who's been silenced. And I'm talking about healthcare workers. I mean, you could be sat at home and you could you could see another problem in your government or in, in with your local MPs. You could see another another issue that you feel needs tackling. So tackle it, do something about it. This is a time, this is a time where the community needs you and this is a time when the world needs our energy and our intelligence to 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 fight all of this off so i'm gonna leave it at that <laughs> and uh i hope to see you all next week with with another episode uh about well i don't know we'll see what happens because everything is changing so quickly on a daily basis even i can't keep up um but thank you to everyone who's listening thank you to everybody who's been sending so many messages of love and support and i want to give you all a big big virtual hug and uh, take care of yourselves. Until next week, I'm Mino. So until next week, I'll see you. So I'll see you all next week. <laughs>